Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and I'm delighted to welcome you back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. Lisa is still out of town for work, so I've been, you know, watching Murder, She Wrote, and doing some gardening. Typical bad boy shit. You know what's a pretty good flower? Irises. You know what's not a pretty good flower? The irises we have in our yard. These are some garbage bullshit irises. We got two types of them. We got these uh, little chirpy fucks with no gravitas. They don't even have any beards. They're pretty colors, but they're like inch or two out of the ground. No depth of character. They're garbage. But I'll tell you this, I would take those any day of the week over the other irises that we've got. They're these like monstrous, pallid pieces of shit. They're huge and they flop over because they can't support their own weight. They somehow manage to be both too fleshy and too fragile. And their beards are huge and gross. I hate these fucking flowers. In summation, pale, fleshy, fragile, gross beards. If they could, I'm pretty sure these irises would join a militia. And that's how I feel about the irises in my yard. If you'd like me to roast your flowers, really take them down a peg, send me a picture. Flowers have had it too good for too long. Oh, only uh, don't send me any pictures of lilacs because lilacs are the best flower. Thank you. Now that I've released that horticultural pipe bomb, let's talk about a comic book, shall we? Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Neil Butler. Will Wonder Girl and Aqualad ever kiss? Maybe Hub will tell us in his synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Neil. And no, no they won't. Although I think we can all agree they would make a very handsome couple. Who could bond a lot over the fact that they were both orphans who were raised in a royal family. And Aqualad could probably help Wonder Girl work through her tendency to compartmentalize her emotions and distance herself from grief, and she could probably help Aqualad establish healthy emotional boundaries, and god damn it, now I really want this to happen. But I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Anyway, thanks, Neil. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 55. July... 1985. Shades of Grey. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by Ron Randall. Inked by Ron Randall. Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Adrienne Roy. And edited by Marv Wolfman and Barbara Cassell. Teen Titan Roll Call. Beast Boy. Cyborg. Starfire. Nightwing. Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans. A little while ago, the Titans were infiltrated and betrayed by a brash young earthbending orphan named Terra. Ever since the duplicitous diminutive dirt distributor accidentally eviled herself to death in an attempt to kill her teenage teammates, Garfield Logan, a.k.a. Beast Boy, has been acting like even more of an asshole than usual. And that's saying something. The shapeshifting teen focused his fury and frustration on the fallen firmament flinger's former partner, Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator, a super-powered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs. 
Slade had been arrested by the Titans and was awaiting trial, but Gaw was of the opinion that prison was insufficient punishment for the monocular mercenary, so he concocted what was for him at least a clever scheme. Taking full advantage of his most formidable natural ability, being an inappropriate obnoxious jerk, Gar kept yelling things in court and physically attacking Wilson. When these antics proved insufficient to have the case thrown out of court, Beast Boy stole his stepdad Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America's magic mind control hat, and used it to impersonate Deathstroke and attack his teammates. The appearance of this second Deathstroke cast enough doubt on whether Slade Wilson was the individual responsible for all of the Terminator's crimes that most of the charges were dropped, but due to the surprising competence of Judge Adrian Chase, who was once the world's worst district attorney as well as the imaginatively named murderous vigilante, the Vigilante, Slade was sentenced to serve one year in prison for possession of illegal firearms. Gar was less than pleased at his partial success because the reason he had wanted Slade Wilson released from prison was so that he could kill the complimentary color-clad creep himself. Gadzooks! Didn't Gar already have a multi-issue story arc where he learned that his single-minded pursuit of deadly vengeance was ultimately unfulfilling? Couldn't he still murder Slade by turning into a small animal and sneaking into his prison cell? And how will Beast Boy express his contrition over stealing his stepdad's magic hat? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Yup, he sure did. Yeah, seems like. And he turns into a baboon and smacks Steve Dayton in the face. Damn it, Gar! Beast Boy is hanging out and sulking at the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper. The rest of the gang is unaware of his plan to murder Slade, or of the fact that he impersonated Deathstroke and attacked them to facilitate that plan, but they're still pretty miffed that he acted like such a fucknut in court the other day. Nightwing tries to lecture him about what a fucknut he's been. Gar tells him to shut up. Starfire expresses her concern about the fact that he's been such a total fucknut. Gar tells her to shut up. Cyborg asks if he wants to have a friendship talk about what a complete fucknut he's been acting like. Gar tells him to shut up. Well, he may not be the best at planning revenge murders, but it's nice to know that Beast Boy still has a way with people. Meanwhile, at Newgate Penitentiary, a minimum security prison in upstate New York, Slade Wilson checks into his cell. The friendly guard gives him an orientation and tells Wilson that they served together in Vietnam and that most of the staff at the facility is on his side. The warden stops by to personally welcome his new prisoner. See, that's the kind of personal touch that you get when you attend a smaller liberal arts prison. I know a lot of supervillains are going to Blackgate or the Phantom Zone to serve their sentences, and those are fine jails if you're looking for, you know, more of a party prison. But, at a place like Newgate, you really get a chance to grow and create your own rehabilitation experience. Having run out of people to tell to shut up at the Titan Tower, Garfield Logan returns to the palatial Dayton Estate in the East Hamptons. His butler, Questor, greets him and tells his young employer how worried he's been about him. Gar tells him to shut up. A disheveled Steve Dayton shows up and yells at Gar about his recent behavior and the fact that another of his tutors has just quit due to the green teen's inappropriate behavior. Perhaps predictably, Gar tells his stepdad to shut up. Beast Boy's rad maybe girlfriend Jillian stops by. Gar's initially stoked to see her, but she informs him that her dad caught wind of what an asshole Gar was in court the other day, and now she's not allowed to see him anymore. 
Gar tells her to shut up, and storms off to his room to brood angrily and watch TV. His choice of viewing material does little to calm the shape-shifting shitheel's nerves. TV reporter Bethany Snow, who is semi-secretly an acolyte of the evil cult leader Brother Blood, is doing a puff piece on Slade Wilson and interviewing him from his prison cell upstate. The monocular mercenary admits that he once used the codename Deathstroke for his freelance soldiering, but claims that he had retired years ago and that someone else must have taken up his mantle. The incarcerated interviewee goes on to say that he doesn't blame the Titans for reaching the wrong conclusion about him, but he is concerned that their irresponsible behavior could lead to someone getting seriously hurt. Bethany Snow readily agrees and begins to launch into a promo for her new 15-part series, Teen Titans, Threat or Menace? But Gar has seen enough. He yells at the TV to shut up. Being a television, it does not comply. So Gar grabs a wooden chair and smashes the screen. I mean, there's also a remote control, but hey, you do you. Hearing the noises of destruction, Steve Dayton has had enough. The tempestuous tycoon bursts into his stepson's room and tells Gar to get out of his house. The enraged emerald adolescent changes into a baboon and backhands the shit out of Dayton, knocking the perturbed plutocrat unconscious. He then turns into an array of angry animals and begins his journey north, intent on seeking bloody vengeance against his imprisoned enemy. When the vengeful verdant vigilante arrives at Newgate, he finds that his captive quarry is having a meeting with his manservant Wintergreen. Gar turns himself into a little green spider and overhears that some favors have been called in and the charges against Wilson will likely be dropped soon and he should be a free man by the morning. For some reason, this information seems to further enrage Beast Boy, despite the fact that having Deathstroke freed from prison had been part of his goal all along. It's almost like Garfield Logan is an unreasonable asshole or something. Weird. That night, Beast Boy returns to the prison and uses his powers to sneak into Slade's cell. Instead of killing Wilson in his sleep like a good little murderer, Gar wakes him up first, informs the drowsy death dealer of his lethal intent, then changes into a rhinoceros and attacks him. Ah, the rhino, nature's stealthiest assassin. The prison cell proves insufficient to contain the scope of the ensuing penitentiary punch-em-up, and the powerful participants soon break down the cell's wall like they were alcohol. Science break! Organic solvents like alcohol and ether can disrupt plant cells by permeating their membranes and cell walls. They can also be used to make you feel funny. When the battle spills into the prison yard, Beast Boy turns himself into a fly so that he can escape the notice of the guards and prevent further bad publicity for the Titans. For some reason, Deathstroke tells the prison staff that he isn't sure who attacked him. He has returned to his cell. Lucky for Gar, it looks like Newgate is one of those prisons with no cameras that operates mostly on the honor system, because there is no evidence of, or witnesses to, a green rhino charging through the halls, attempting to gore a prisoner. The next day, Slade Wilson is released. Wintergreen picks him up. Wilson confides to his butler that he is sick of supervillaining, and is contemplating returning to a simpler, morally uncomplicated life of working as a mercenary in Africa. Huh. Wintergreen thinks that sounds great. Huh. 
Speaking of terrible people, Gar is moping around a shitty little zoo and thinking about how sad he is. Well, if hanging around a bunch of majestic wild animals that are being kept in cages that are barely larger than they are doesn't cheer him up, I don't know what will. After sitting on a monkey cage and crying for a while, the despondent dipshit re-resolves to murder Deathstroke, speculating that perhaps that will finally give him some closure, not only on the death of Terra, but also on his multiple sets of parents, both biological and adopted, who have died. Yeah, that'll probably do the trick. He sends a letter to Slade Wilson, requesting that the depth perception deficient do-batter meet him at a remote canyon in upstate New York for a deadly showdown. Over the objections of his long-suffering butler, Wilson decides to comply with the request. In the hours leading up to the scheduled skirmish, each participant visits the gravesite of a different shitty dead teen. Gar goes to the cemetery where Tara is buried, and wonders if she was really as evil as she seemed to be, or if she had merely been misled by the influence of Deathstroke. Slade Wilson visits the grave of his deceased son, Grant, a.k.a. the Ravager, a shitty would-be assassin who, like Terra, died when he overexerted his superpowers in an attempt to kill the Titans. It was Grant's death which led to Slade's fate becoming intertwined with that of the Titans in the first place, a connection that Slade seeks to sever once and for all that afternoon. When they're done posing dramatically in their respective graveyards, the two combatants head off to the isolated chasm where Gar has arranged for them to fight to the death. When Gar arrives, he spots Slade's familiar silhouette. The volatile, viridescent vengeance seeker changes into a giant condor and swoops down to attack the object of his animalistic animosity. But, just as he is about to strike, he notices something about his target and pulls up at the last second. What gives? Did Slade send a substitute in his stead? No. Did the augmented assassin bring a hostage with him? Nope. Is Deathstroke holding a sign proclaiming that his mother's name is Martha? Again, no. He just isn't wearing his costume. Turns out Gar really wanted him to wear his costume. With tears of fury in his eyes, Beast Boy demands that Slade change into his blue and orange outfit so that they can fight. Wilson refuses, saying that if Gar wants to kill him, that's fine. He won't even fight back but he'll have to kill Slade as the man he is, not as the symbol that Gar has poured all of his hatred into. Gar is like, Yeah, okay, that works for me. He turns back into the condor and again charges, intent on delivering a death strike to death stroke. Once again, when he gets close enough to look at Wilson in the eyes, well, I, he is unable to follow through on his murderous intent. He collapses to the ground in tears. Which is fine, I guess, but wasn't Slade in his civilian clothes the last couple of times Gar attacked him? I mean, maybe the attack in the courtroom was part of an elaborate ruse, but when they fought in prison, it didn't seem as though he was holding back. If it's really that important to him that Slade be wearing a blue and orange outfit when he dies, they're already in upstate New York. He could just swing by Syracuse and stuff Deathstroke into an Otto the Orange mascot costume and then kill him. Just trying to be helpful. Since it turns out they aren't going to kill each other after all, the two enemies decide to bond and have a heart-to-heart -heart talk. Wilson tells his adolescent adversary about his asshole son Grant, 
and about how fulfilling the Ravager's contract on the Titans was his fucked-up way of honoring his dead son's memory. Slade's decision-making regarding the contract was stupid, didn't make any sense, and got a lot of people hurt. Gar can respect that. They decide to go to a nearby diner and get some lunch. Okay. I didn't see that one coming. After they order their food, Beast Boy accuses his table mate of turning Terra evil. Slade's like, No way. She was super duper evil already. Like, totally evil. Hey, you remember that tribal chief who helped raise you as a kid? Well, it's never came up before, and it likely won't again, but it turns out she murdered him. See? She was the evil one. All I did was take advantage of a 15-year-old girl to further my own agenda, possibly sleep with her, and encourage her to kill you and your friends. You can't possibly think that I'm the bad guy here. I have a very strict code of ethics. Gar's like, yeah, I guess that checks out. Man, fuck both these guys. Slade goes on to say that he's pretty sure that he's done being Deathstroke, and probably isn't even going to murder people anymore. Probably. He also says that Beast Boy is really good at being a superhero. One of the best. Wait, by what fucking metric? Gar deserves that accolade like Tywin Lannister deserves a world's greatest dad mug. After this touching moment between the two self-absorbed dipshits, Slade hops in his limo and takes off. Gar stays in the diner for a while to reflect on the wisdom he has just learned from his new creepy murderous father figure. Look, Gar, if you leave now, it's not too late for you to catch up with him and, you know, stuff him into that mascot costume and kill him. No? Fine. Man, those guys are bigger sacks of shit than the irises that are growing in my yard. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? Oh, fine, I guess. I don't know. This comic book was full of words, and I didn't... I just... It wasn't my favorite one that I've read in a long time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Let's just dive right into this shit. Okay, so pros... Um, like P-R-O-S, not P-R-O-S-E. Pros... Although both. Well, frankly, yeah. I think, honestly, the prose was very good. Yeah, the writing was good, and the way that they went back and forth between the Terminator and Beast Boy mm -hmm. um, was good. Like, mm -hmm. the whole thing had this, like, real split back and forth, like, here's Slade's perspective, here's Beast Boy's stupid perspective. But... It, it was an interesting and pretty well-executed, I think, writing exercise, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. And also in the pro column I would put, I thought the art was really, really good. I keep waiting for there to be a real clunker of an art issue since Perez is no longer doing it. And so far there hasn't been. Uh, in this one, the artist by a guy named Ron Randall, who I mostly knew from, he did some Justice League Europe, I think, in the, in the 90s. And that was where I first encountered him. But he does a really nice job with this issue and he did his own inks in it too. Mm. Yeah, the range of expression going from sad to angry and back again on Beast Boy's face is actually super well It, it is. He looks more petulant in this issue than I'm used to seeing him. And it totally, like, he just looks sulky and petulant and moody and very, very teenager-y in mm -hmm. this issue in a way that's really, really well done. That said, he goes from that kind of sulky, like that pissiness to 
pretty scary looking rage in a few of the panels. Like mm-hmm. he's just like popped a gasket, lost his shit. And then flat out grief stricken crying mm-hmm. a fair amount. Yeah. Yeah. I, f- <sighs> I feel bad. Like he's a sympathetic character to the degree that so much bad shit has happened to this kid. It's got to put a big psychological whammo whammy. Yeah. Although, I don't know, man. I, there's, I think, an Oscar Wilde quote that is something to the effect of to lose one parent is a tragedy, to lose both your parents smacks of carelessness. Oh my and so... God. What is, how old is the kid in this situation? I don't know. Uh, he's in, like, made-up caustic wit land. Oh. So, yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, by that logic, really hate Gar <laughs> has lost... A lot of parents. He's objectively the most careless orphan. At a certain point, ever. you do have to start looking at, like like with Murder, She Wrote, she's constantly encountering murders. You got to at least suspect that maybe she's the murderer. It's like, uh, was it Mad or Cracked Magazine had a send-up of, of that show in the 80s called Murder, She Hopes? Oh. Mm-hmm. I must have been cracked because if it was Mad Magazine, it would be, I think, called Murder She Black. Uh. I don't think that Gar is necessarily murdering all of his foster parents. I know what you mean. You want to be sympathetic towards him. But, and there's a big but, because like I said, I think it's a well-done story. I think it's a good comic book. I think if this was my first Teen Titans comic, I would be intrigued and I'd, I would really enjoy it. The problem is, the basic plot line of this story is you have Gar Logan, Beast Boy, shape-shifting teen who has a tragic backstory but masks his feelings by making dumb little jokes. And the arc of this story is he puts aside his dumb jokes and focuses on vengeance, deadly vengeance specifically, and is filled with rage. And then comes eventually to the realization that that sense of rage and vengeance was just another mask that he had to get through before he could deal with his true feelings of grief. That's a decent character arc. The problem is, he's been through the exact same character arc. We saw this already. We saw this when he fought Madame Rouge and General Zal. And I think it's come up before, like where he tries to put his insecurity aside and then gets super serious and then realizes that he needs to deal with his feelings more. And it never fully gets resolved. And so it's no longer a character arc. It's a character loop or a fucking character Mobius strip. And I'm so sick of his shit. Yeah, apparently so is Wolfman because the solution to it was uh, like, oh, I'm just over it because I talked to Slade Wilson, which... Like, yeah, okay, you confronted your feelings and realized it was a mask of a mask or whatever. It doesn't hold for the character whatsoever, like, the, everything he's been plotting and trying to get to. I think it would have been much more interesting if he had actually followed through on his murderous intent and then had yeah. to deal with that And shit. then was like, I'm still empty inside and now I have this new layer of guilt. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not necessarily a fan of grim and grittiness for grim and grittiness's sake, but we already saw what happens when he realizes the folly of vengeance and, you you know? Also, I don't think that, like, okay, yes, on one hand, I can see how when you have a final confrontation of some sort, 
then the you know the kind of wind goes out of the sails yeah. and you're just like oh this is fucking exhausting i don't have the energy to be upset about things mm-hmm. anymore or whatever like that can totally happen this even if something comes to a violent thing right. you have a fight a fist fight or whatever and then like all that shit guts is done but what happens here is slade wilson basically says hey nothing personal <laughs> and yeah i did have sex with that teenager because i'm disgusted oh he doesn't say that he did he he is heavily ev- implies it. he is evasive enough that yeah that it they're, yeah. basically confirms it which is gross yeah and uh and uh, yeah beast boy's just like okay yeah i'm tired too let's let's yeah i want to get back to that that's the thing i like the idea of him sitting down in the diner with slade wilson i like that scene it didn't really feel earned although i don't think i disliked it as much as you did i kind of liked the conceit of he had focused all of his hatred on the deathstroke character and when slade wasn't wearing the mask he had to see him as a human being like, I think there's something you can do with that. It doesn't totally hold water because he has fought Slade out of costume before, like in the courtroom. But, I mean, that could work. But yeah, I, th- I think my main problem was just, uh, we've seen it before and we've seen that he deals with this and doesn't grow from it. And so it's just narratively unsatisfying to be promised character growth when we're given no reason to believe that there's anything behind it. I mean, I think we've both known people like that. Where they're like, oh, I'm really going to get my shit together this time. And the first time you're like, oh man, good for you. And the second time you're like, well, maybe this time. And by the third time, it's, you know, there's that uh, that old expression. Fool me once, fuck you. Fool me twice, fuck you, you fucking fuck. Yep, that old and, chestnut. And that's where I'm at with Beast Boy. Yeah, that's fair. That said, if it does work and he, he gets serious... I'll be pleasantly surprised. Sure. Because that was a big part also of what, after Slade Wilson said, hey, no hard feelings, I was just trying to finish up my son's contract and totally glossing over that I killed you thing. Yeah. Um. By the way, Beast Boy, you're like one of the best Titans, so like you should totally stop being a bat, being hard on yourself and go, just go out there and kick some butt. That is the other thing that seems totally unearned. That is out of character for Deathstroke to either lie to to protect a stranger slash teenager's feelings or to grossly misassess an opponent like that. A confusion that the narrator makes at the beginning. But there's a lot of, like, Beast Boy cheerleading in this yeah. book that doesn't... It's it's not... A, we haven't history. seen him written that way. Like, we're 55 issues into this series and he di- displays competence so rarely in his superheroics. Wilson is a mercenary without Pierre. Logan is a superhero. He's one of the best. No, he's not. Objectively, not true. No, that is a lie. We have an unreliable narrator. You know, one of the other things, too, that this did get me thinking about was the the nature of acceptable violence or murder versus not acceptable violence or murder. Uh, In particular, in the context of, I almost said missionaries, but I was going to say mercenaries. Yeah. Freudian slip. Yeah, I mean, that's shit like that's happening with military contractors. Yeah, you know, there's, and it just seems strange to me that if it happens like somewhere else, it's fine to uh, pay folks a, a service to go do violence to others. Yeah, that's I, their job. I the line between mercenary and hitman, as is drawn in this comic book, he's always been viewed more of as an assassin than a mercenary. I guess technically he's both, but really what's kind of the difference between a freelance soldier and an assassin? I guess one would be more 
ostensibly it's in the context but, of a war where people yeah. are getting killed anyway so and there's right. two sides or whatever so that somehow makes it okay but the my issue with this is that it basically gets to the end and you know he's wearing his white shirt and he looks all he's being fatherly to beast boy and it's like yeah kinda, you know uh washing clean all this that, nasty shit that he did and that everything. is the second thing that this issue is trying to accomplish that for me it fails at I think this is supposed to be a redemptive story for Deathstroke the Terminator. And it's trying to paint him in a much more noble light than we've seen him before. And that he's, you know, he just wants to take care of his wife and kid. And the the way he talks about fulfilling his dead son's contract by doing in the Titans, that doesn't make any sense. It, it has never made any sense. And his description of it here doesn't make any sense. Something about his son's soul can rest once... The Titans have been captured or something. Yeah. It's like, what does Hive have to do with the it spiritual have... nature of his kid? So what he says is, Nothing. He took the contract because he worshipped what he thought I was, wanted to be like me. I had to complete it for him so he could rest in peace. Now, his son had taken out a contract to specifically kill the Teen Titans. So his son can rest in peace through some kind of a weird loophole? Where he's like, well, I fulfilled the contract because I captured them and turned them over to Hive. Who I totally thought was going to kill them. Yeah, which he was also totally fine with. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that they're teenagers. Which I guess he is okay with not just sleeping with, but also killing. <sighs> That's the other thing. That is the, the one line that I kept thinking back to when I think of this comic book. Is that line... At the end, where he and Beast Boy are having their nice, almost father-son moment. As like one of the final pieces of their conversation, after Slade has told him, You know, you're one of the best I've ever encountered. Beast Boy says, Slade, did you ever make love to Tara? <laughs> and Slade stops and is silent for a full panel and then says, Would that make any difference? And Beast Boy says, I guess not. I hate that exchange so much. She was 15. This is not a character that I can have any redemptive arc for, especially if he's like, would it have made any difference if I slept with a 15-year-old? Yeah, it would, because it would make you much more of a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. His whole reasoning behind it, too, is just like, well, she was irredeemably evil when I met her, so whatever. Doesn't matter what I did to her. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter what I did with her. Fuck you, dude. Ugh. It's one of a few moments in it where I don't know if that's supposed to make me like him more or not. It makes me really, really dislike him. Most of this issue, I think, is supposed to make me like him more. And it doesn't work. I, I, I'm disposed to want to, kind of, because I love the idea of hero and villain sitting in a diner and talking over breakfast and a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. Like, I like that trope. But, yeah, a few of the things that it does with Deathstroke in this really really make me hate this character more that is one of the big ones the other one is he brings it up three or four times talking about just you know wanting to put this life behind him stop being deathstroke the terminator and get back to doing mercenary work in africa gross especially with the context of when this comic book came out and what that says about him mm. i mean it's tough for me to read that as being something other than it's just cleaner, simpler going to another country and killing black people. Mm -hmm. Especially where 
in the early 80s and late 70s, there were a lot of U.S. mercenaries who were former Vietnam soldiers who decided to go and serve as mercenaries in Africa, mostly in the countries of Angola and Rhodesia, with the idea of sticking up for capitalism. Uh, and Rhodesia specifically was viewed as one of the last bastions of capitalism in the region. Hmm. And William F. Buckley was big on supporting Rhodesia. And Rhodesia was also a white supremacist country mm -hmm. in a black region. Mm -hmm. And the the fact that he keeps talking about going back, he, he maybe is not talking about Rhodesia or Angola, but that that is somehow maybe not noble, but supposed to be viewed as acceptable. It just struck me as gross. Yeah, it was disappointing to me. And, uh, to the way that that like let's go kill people in africa thing is supported like i always kind of like wintergreen like thought he was a pretty cool sidekick yeah but he supports that too when deathstroke's getting ready to go face beast boy he's like no sir don't go do that let's let's yeah. just go to africa and do that other thing you were talking about yeah boo uh, boo wintergreen you've got that colonialism all up in your suit speaking of suits the only good thing about Deathstroke in this issue is his clothing choices. Yeah, they're all pretty on point. We we will get back to them. I know. I la just... Later, but yeah, that is a long trench coat, man. This is serious. Also, I do like it's a consistent touch with him that he wears a white eye patch to kind of match his uh his white hair, mm -hmm. and I think that is a good look for him. Mm -hmm. When Beast Boy decides that he is going to kill Deathstroke in his prison cell, and he goes in there. I was disappointed because I actually thought he was being clever for like half a second. Turn into a fucking poisonous snake. Okay, that would have been fine. I didn't mean that. I, I got pretty quick that he wasn't going to turn into a poisonous snake or a jellyfish or a platypus like we had discussed earlier. But what I thought he was doing was he, he lures Deathstroke out into the prison yard and then turns into something tiny. I thought he was going to get him shot. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's actually pretty clever of him. But that wasn't what he was doing. That would have been way cleverer. Yeah. I, w I was disappointed. He could have done something like that, like turn into uh, like a horsefly and just start biting him so he jumps yeah. around. Because that really hurts. Oh, it totally hurts. I hate horseflies. Yeah. I would hate them more if they were Beast Boy, but I do hate horseflies. <laughs> the worst. Second worst. <laughs> no, Beast Boy horsefly. Oh, Beast Boy horsefly. Yeah. Worst horsefly we got. It also does seem like... During that fight, he wasn't being that subtle. He was a giant green rhinoceros. It seems like one of the other prisoners would have seen him. And if they did, I think even the dumbest of prisoners would be like, man, that giant green rhinoceros was really giving you what for. Wasn't there another green dude who turned into animals who attacked you in court in front of everybody and it was in the news a couple days ago? Maybe that's the same guy. Mm. Yeah. But he's, he didn't get caught. Nobody saw him. He was a very stealthy rhinoceros. Also, that government experiment must have made him, uh, like, just so agile. Because a tiger is, I'm assuming, like, really hard to get away from if you're in, like, a little 10 by 12 room with it. Yeah. And it wants to eat you. Especially if that tiger is one of the best superheroes in the business. <laughs> that is such bullshit. Let's go through a list of all the people Beast Boy was an asshole to in this issue. Because it is 
a significant list. We're uh, going to discount. Let, let's take Slade Wilson out of the equation. Okay. So, Dick. Mm-hmm. Starfire. Mm-hmm. Cyborg. Mm-hmm. Steve Dayton. Mm-hmm. Questor, the butler. Questor. Who was totally being nice to him. And Jillian. Mm-hmm. He didn't even let her finish her explaining anything. And he totally, that was deserved. Like, I know we're not supposed to side with Jillian's dad, but yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't let her see him either. It seems like a violent lunatic. And that was on purpose he acted like a violent lunatic and thought that it would not have consequences on his life. And the way he dealt with Questor when he got home, that pissed me off so much. That guy works for you, and he was being nice to you. And... You just flip out on him. We skipped somebody, too, because Steve Dayton said that another tutor put in their notice. So, presumably, off-panel, he probably sexually harassed another tutor and got them to quit. Because that's his M.O. Yep, I made note of that as well. Not cool. No. And he's not just an asshole to Steve Dayton. He turns into a baboon and assaults him. He backhands him fiercely. Man, you do not want to catch a baboon backhand. No siree, Bob. And it is an especially egregious crime because once he is in baboon form, he has a nonviolent alternative. You could just hypnotize him. Mm. It's hard to tell if he's an albino baboon. Yeah, because both his albino baboon and non-albino baboon are both green. Mm -hmm. Maybe he couldn't hypnotize Steve Dayton because of Steve Dayton's connection with the Freshmaker hat. Oh, because it looks like it's made up of mentos. Yeah. Hmm. It doesn't look like it's made out of Mentos. It has it's like little columns that, that, that could, that could uh, be a bunch of Mentos glued together in little cylinders. Do you think that that's, that is that's what the hat is why, made of? That's probably why they call it that. It's dangerous, though. It's too fresh. You can't have that much Mentos on your head. Well, not in Steve Dayton's. Okay with it. Especially in the 80s when everybody's drinking Diet Coke. Oh, it's liable to go up like a geyser. Mm-hmm, like a goddamn Roman candle. Mm. Whole head'll explode. Steve Dayton looks like his head's about to explode regardless. Uh, apparently he's been drinking, and he is looking a little bit worse for wear. I know he's been pretty hard on Beast Boy lately, which I approve of, but... Yeah, and now he's got to recover from that baboon backhand. Oof. Not good. Beast Boy does say something, too, when he's being an asshole to his teammates. He says something like, I know I should have talked with Dick, or maybe given Donna a call. Yeah, he needs to go back to Donna Troy's grief counseling agency. Mm. Step one, get over it. Mm-hmm. There is no step two. It's been a week, <laughs> Beast Boy. Yeah, it's been several weeks. Oh. He really needs to get his shit together. Mm. We talked a little bit about the scene in the diner, but the waitress came up and was like, oh, you're Beast Boy. I think you're so cute. Weird. So, yeah, it's weird that that happened. I think the reason that that, they put that in there was to show how serious. Because he didn't hit on her after having that? Yeah, he didn't do anything gross, which was, like, wildly out of character. Speaking of out of character, man, too bad we don't have the sucker category for this comic book because it's full of suckers. It is. Two of them. Yes. Two suckers. It's a two sucker issue. Yep. It's like a double trip to the dentist. Wait, do they give you candy after you go to the dentist? Oh, I think they stopped doing that. Did they used to do that? I don't know if they used to do that or not. Maybe they just gave you a little toy. I feel like you just planted that memory in my head like it's a dumb Maybe the doctor's office gave you candy. Both of those seem like bad ideas. Not like, Yeah. Are they just trying to drum up more business for themselves? 
Yeah. And now that your teeth are clean, here, why don't you put some sweet glue on them? So you said that Gar didn't do anything gross. I think he might have. Uh, there's nothing gross that we know about. Well, I think there are subtle clues that he might have done something that earned him the ire of the waitress who thought he was cute before. Because she brought him the wrong food. She absolutely brought him the wrong food. I noticed And if she has a crush on him, I don't think she would have done that. And then he says, I stayed at that diner an hour longer. I think maybe he was just waiting for them to fix his order. And they just never did. Because he asked for a grilled cheese and a Diet Coke, and they bring him sunny-side-up eggs with bacon and baked beans. Mm -hmm. And he does not look happy. Now, I think we're supposed to think that he's not happy because of the conversation he's having with his new father figure. Mm. But I think he's unhappy because in a cutscene, he said something gross to the waitress, and she was like, fuck this guy, he's not getting a grilled cheese. And then, yeah, he had to stick around an hour later. Now, I was really opposed to and grossed out by the idea of Slade Wilson being a father figure to Beast Boy. But if that goes the way that his normal father figures do, Mm. maybe we can put that uh, misplacing his uh, parents thing to use for us. Yeah, get rid of creepy, creepy Wilson. Maybe that's his plan all along. Mm. Maybe he's like, "I, I can't kill him. But if I can get him to adopt me, he'll just die anyway. Mm, A very clever plan, Beast Boy. I've misjudged you. You really are one of the best. He's not. He's not one of the best. He's a real green turd. (laughs) There's a bozo. (laughs) Can I use that one? Yeah, sure. All right. So we have a couple of scenes where Gar goes and just thinks things over for a while. And he goes to a really shitty zoo. I mean, the animals in it are well drawn, but they are in tiny cages that are very close to each other. Yeah, that's true. I think that was just an artistic choice to get everything to fit in the panel. Yeah, but you got a polar bear that's in a six-foot square cage, right next to a moose, right next to a tiger, right next to some monkeys. Those do not look healthy. No, that is not cool. Very jaundiced. Where is this zoo? Is this even a zoo? Is this maybe on his, like, private property somewhere? Oh, probably. He probably probably has his own menagerie. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's all fucked up. Not cool, Beast Boy. How pissed off that wolf is. It looks like the wolf is crying. Is that a little tear coming out of the wolf? Mm, Yeah, maybe. Do you remember... In the movie Tarkan versus the Vikings, the Turkish action movie, that there was a scene where the wolf that raised him, which was clearly a German shepherd, was crying. Wait, his dog raised him? Yeah, well, one of them. Okay, so he was raised by two dogs that were both named Kurt. Or no, it was Kurt and Kurt's son. Kurt, I learned, is Turkish for wolf. Oh, well, there you go. Mm. But Kurt Sr. died in battle, even though they didn't close him. When he threw him off the castle? Yeah, I think was so. Was that that movie? I think so. I, I'm trying to He's remember. Like, go attack that octopus or whatever. <laughs> that was that didn't happen. Oh, did it? I mean, no, no, there was the octopus. He threw his dog off of something high at some bad guys at some point. I think. Okay, that wasn't the one that killed him. He was killed by the Huns that were attacking the Turkish stronghold at the beginning of the movie, and then Kurt Senior died, and Kurt Junior. <laughs> Like, there were tears streaming down his face. 
Poor dog. And yeah, they did a close-up of Kurt Siener and when he was supposed to be dead. And fortunately, you could still see him breathing. Oh, so he was fine. But I love the idea that there was like, they did little enough research that they were like, hey, the wolves cry when they're sad? I don't know, probably. Good enough! Let's go put some lemon juice in that dog's eyes. Like, oh, I hope they didn't do that. I think they just used like a like a turkey baster teardrops coming down. Oh, I hope so too. I'm sure they did. Or maybe that dog is just a really good actor. What I'm saying is you guys should all watch Tarkan versus the Vikings. And also, there's a panel where I think a wolf is crying in this, which I like a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and if you value on-point journalism like this, thanks. Yeah. So there was one thing that I found very distracting in this issue uh, from like a nuts and bolts standpoint. There's a lot of split captioning going on where you'll see what Deathstroke is thinking in one panel and then sometimes in the same panel you'll see what Beast Boy is thinking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. And what I found really distracting is that it was not consistent what color those captions were. Yeah. And it was close, but... A lot of times, if there's just, like, a coloring miscue, it'll be fixed in the reprint version, the Oop. one that you read. And I checked it against that, and it's, like, Deathstroke's caption th- thoughts go from, like, pink to orange, and then I think are sometimes yellow or blue, and then Beast Boys are sometimes green and sometimes blue, and it was really, really, not even distracting, but upsetting for me. Because I, I wanted it to be consistent so badly, and it would have made so much more sense if it was, and it just wasn't. Yeah, I had the same experience. The first time it happened, I went through and read the whole page again just to make sure I wasn't... Yeah, like, wait, up. is there a third person in the room that's yeah. thinking some other things? Nope. Yeah, I, that, was I, fr- that was frustrating. I really would have liked it if it would just be like, maybe you could make Beast Boy's captions green and Deathstroke's orange. Or blue. Yeah. Both good choices. Both match. The cover to this issue is fucking gorgeous. cover is maybe my favorite part about this issue. Yeah. It is by an artist named Eduardo Barreto. And it is Deathstroke shot from behind. And then he is facing a barrage of images of Beast Boy that are like done with a lot of shading. And it's all in green print. But it's really, really cool looking, and he draws those animals looking awesome. It did make me wonder a little bit, because Deathstroke is facing away from us, and then he is obscuring part of Beast Boy's face with his body, and so mostly what you see is all the animal faces, and a really nice octopus drawing too, which I'm a sucker for an octopus drawing. Mm Mm-hmm. It did make me wonder a little bit if maybe he just can't draw faces. (laughs) It was something I always wondered. I really like the artist Magritte, but like, like, I I think maybe he just can't draw faces. Because like he puts the green apple in front of the businessman on his most famous painting. Another one of his really famous paintings is like a couple, but their faces have like sheets draped over them. And then like, I think there was one where it was like a lady riding a horse, like coming out from behind a tree. And when I saw that, I was like, she did have a face. I think maybe he just couldn't draw faces very good. Mm. Or they're like, I get it. Faces are hard. But uh, I'm wondering if uh, maybe that's what's going on with Eduardo here. I don't know. The bit of Beast Boy's face that we do see is pretty terrifying. It is really. It's, it, and it, yeah, it's an angry face. And 
He looks pretty good, but maybe maybe just can't draw noses. Could be the nose. Yeah, like he's like a half Magritte. Like the foot. Brilliant artist. Can't the nose draw is noses. like the foot of the face. Because oh, the it foot really is, is very difficult to draw. Certainly, certainly. Especially straight on. Especially if you're Rob Liefeld. Is that the Def Leppard guy? No. That's Rick Allen. No, Rob Liefeld's the guy that drew Youngblood and, and X-Force in the 90s. But he famously was very bad at drawing feet. At, or just didn't ever want to draw feet. So, like, everybody was always standing in front of a tiny pile of rubble. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's awesome that yeah. you can get away with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, shit. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up, or are you ready to get into the minutia? No, we covered my concerns. Okay. Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Okay, Corey, what was your favorite sound effect? I would say that my favorite sound effect is the noise of scratch. Which is, actually, there's two of them, but the one that was my favorite was the rhinoceros smashing the wall, not the Beast Boys smashing the television set. I think I, my favorite scratch in this issue was Beast Boys smashing the television set. Oh, it's so irresponsible. It really is, but, like, he takes a wooden chair like he is a pro wrestler holding a folding chair and just does an overhand smash onto this giant big screen TV because Bethany Snow's on it, and uh, I thought it was actually pretty cool looking. I mean, super irresponsible, but there was a little piece of me that was like, I bet that was pretty satisfying. And Steve Dayton runs in and is like, you stupid piece of shit. Wait, no, he didn't say that, but... Yeah, he said he, it with his eyes. He meant it. Yeah. He said, get out of my house. It must take so long to get out of that house. <laughs> like, it, is, it is canonically a very large house. <laughs> Yeah, so Scratch is the only sound effect in the entire issue, uh, despite the fact that there are many extended fight scenes. But, as has been previously established, Deathstroke is able to shatter glass and furniture without making a noise due to his special training. Mm. So, I guess some of that extended to Beast Boy during that fight. Uh, the only noise that it makes is when he crashes through the wall as a rhinoceros, it makes the noise of a television set breaking. Scratch. Scratch. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic has a Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad? I actually have a split decision. Ooh. And really, I can't give it to Beast Boy. No. Which leaves not a lot of screen time for the other Titans to share. That's true. So I basically had a toss up between Starfire and Cyborg because they both had the most, I would say, even handed approach to trying to confront Beast Boy about his ridiculous behavior in the courtroom. Yeah. They were kind. They were. Which... Dick is just lecturing him. and Which was why I went with Dick. <laughs> Dude, it was ineffective. It was ineffective, but... Somebody needs to tell Beast Boy that his behavior was appalling and try to hold him to some standard. And they have tried being nice and forgiving of his behavior in the past. And I liked the idea that Nightwing was like, no, you know what? You can't behave that way. You need to grow up. A little tough love. Yeah. Despite its complete... Oh, yeah, it didn't work. And I would say that at this point, it's got to be at least tough dislike. <laughs> 
Yeah. Annoyance. Yeah. Dismissiveness. Maybe not dismissiveness, because he still represents the Titans. I don't think he's dismissive of him. He's just over it. He wishes he could be. Yeah. You're dismissed. Oh, he should dismiss him. You're out of the Titans. If we need an asshole, we'll bring back Speedy. Or Hawk. (laughs) Ouch, ouch, ouch. Conversely, you're Speedy? It's, I don't see. Yes, it's Beast Boy. It has to be him. I was flirting with the idea of thinking that maybe the worst Titan in this issue is the narrator (laughs) for describing Beast Boy as the best, but he's not a teen Titan. No, that's too much of a stretch. Yeah, Beast Boy's the fucking worst. He's the worst. Honestly, at some point we're going to need to seriously reconsider whether this category should be called the Beast Boy as the worst teen Titan. Many issues. It has been. The only thing that is keeping me from that is that when Speedy did come back, he was still really, really awful. Mm-hmm. But Beast but Boy's really bad. That's going to need to happen every 20 issues or something. Yeah. At least. Yeah, we need we need to be constantly reminded of what a sack of crap Speedy was. <laughs> yep. Corey, were you able to find a timestamp in this issue? No, I wasn't, but thanks to your largesse, I do have one. Ah! You pointed out the uh, Idi Amin reference, yes. which I will gladly take because that was topical to uh, the 80s. Yeah, he, he's a figure who has loomed large in this Teen Titans series before. There was the really unfortunate uh, racial caricature of him that came up during the, uh, the Starfire sister story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that was rough. Yeah, it was really, really rough. For my timestamp, I had kind of a couple to choose from, but they were both stretches, I got to admit. So one of them was, as we have mentioned, Deathstroke's unfortunate reference to doing mercenary work in Africa. The other one was Beast Boy having a canopy bed. I feel like a canopy bed is a very 80s depiction of luxury. You never see or hear about them anymore. And I remember in the, in the 80s, my sister wanted a canopy bed so bad. I feel like it's like a like an aspirational yuppie thing for teenagers specifically to want a canopy bed. What is the point of it? I never understood that as a I, kid. I didn't either. I, like, I guess we could ask my sister about it. Like, I would understand if it had like mosquito netting that came down. Exactly. I don't think was, it did. No. I don't think that was that was it. Like, maybe you could close the curtains and then, like, have a little privacy while you were sleeping. Oh, they should get some fucking canopy beds for the Defenders headquarters. Oh, yeah. Keep keep the Kyle away. Creepy eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what canopy beds were for. But I'm not wrong, am I? That seems like an 80s... Like, I mean, I know they were, like, kind of a Victorian thing. But, like, I feel like in the 80s there was this, like, thing where teenagers wanted canopy beds. Yeah, I don't know. That seems reasonable. I yeah. remember seeing them on TV when I was a kid and thinking, oh, that's dumb. Yeah. But I wasn't a teen yet, so. Well, there you go. I don't get it. It's like a hat on a bed. Well, now you're making me want one. Well, <laughs> what kind, what would be the best kind of a hat to put on a bed? Fedora. No. <laughs> that's silly. Put a fedora and then a ponytail. No, no, no. I want a, like a, like a wizard hat. <laughs> <laughs> like a Red Sox hat. Oh, like a, a big cowboy hat on a bed? That'd be fun. Hmm. A lot of different fun hats you could put on a bed. The 
giant beret. Dude, this could be our big business. Like, bed bring hats. back canopy beds, but call them bed hats. And, like, so many different kinds. What kind of bed hat do you, does your bed want? Yeah, are you a pork pie or are you a bowler? Yeah, or a revolutionary's beret. Oh, should be a lot of Che bed hats. Would there be? I don't know what the what the Venn diagram of uh, Che Guevara aficionados and and wanters of canopy beds is. Yeah, I might need to rethink that <laughs> statement. That sounds a little goofy. Yeah, there's a lot of different hats out there that a lot of different beds could wear. I think wizard hat would be pretty popular. Hmm. Save some money, just get a bed visor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of those green ones for accountants. Branded? You could do branded ones. Yeah. Corey, I think this might just be a bad idea. Yeah, the more I talk about it, yeah. the worse it gets. Yeah, it's a bad idea, and it's not particularly funny either. Nope. Nope. Oh, well. Go to the cutting room floor. Oh, no, it stays in. I need to leave a couple of these in. Oh. It's reminders of our hubris. <laughs> <laughs> we flew too close to the sun. It made a stupid joke. <laughs> yeah. Sartorially speaking, what elements of fashion did you find noteworthy in this issue? There was two outfits. One, which I feel like we've talked about before, but maybe I'm just making that up, which is the, I think it's got to be silk purple smoking jacket. Yeah. Has. I think we have brought it up before, but it is very nice. So that was cool. But the outfit that he decided, his like graveyard visiting outfit mm -hmm. is a crazy ass, is I'm going to guess leather, like rust colored leather trench coat. It's ankle length. It is an incredibly long trench coat. It is serious. And then it's got and a... And he's wearing an ascot with it. Too. Yeah, like a white floofy, fluffy. I think floofy. It's a white floofy ascot. He looks like he's from like a, a Japanese video game Oh, character from a castle or something. Yeah, I was thinking more like uh, Victorian Gothic fiction, like mm. "Don't go out on the moors." Yep, sure. But you have to, and then you you know he he like is gonna release the hounds. Yeah, I don't know if you were going like Sherlock Holmes or American Werewolf in London on that. Yeah, I couldn't decide either. Ah, oh. it's one of the two. Either way, bad call. Yeah, wait. To go, oh, oh, to, to go, go out on the moors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you're going to get murdered. Yeah. Bad, yeah. Bad. Don't go out on the moors tonight. I shan't. Okay. Wait, do I get to keep the trench coat? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, you do. Okay, cool. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of one character calling another character a Bozo did you feel was the best? So, at first, the only really direct one that I could find was Beast Boy using the tired old rust head in reference oh. to Cyborg. But then I found one that was a bit more roundabout, and that was Slade Wilson referring to some shady characters he had met as being a scum that could corrode acid. Ooh, that's pretty good. I had a good zing to yeah, it. Yeah, I missed that one. I just decided to go with uh, Beast Boy when he was a fly calling slade wilson creep and then pally hmm. really going more with the pally than the creep but when you use them in conjunction i think the pally becomes a little bit more dismissive sinister even yeah not a ton to choose from really and that's the case for a lot of these categories it seems like today yeah 
One category in which there were not slim pickings, though. Favorite panel. Good point. Yeah, the art in this was, was really nice. I think I had mentioned before the range of angry expressions and sad expressions on Beast Boy's face are really well rendered throughout the book. One in particular that is one of my favorite panels because of that is on page 17. And it's a, a close-up of his face, and he just Ooh. looks... It's all shadowy and creepy, and he looks furious, absolutely raged. That one is really good. I think my favorite angry Beast Boy face is from the fight in the prison, when he first starts attacking, and his face just explodes with orange fire. And he looks so angry, and he's saying, I want to kill you! Mm-hmm. Very direct. Mm-hmm. Unless he's just singing Doris lyrics. Because <laughs> we did say that Slate is like a father figure here. Father, father, I want to kill you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wasted a fair amount of my teen years listening to that. Yeah, yeah. It's that's not good. fair. No, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that panel I think is really, really well done. I also really liked the opening panel. The split panel of... Deathstroke on one side, and there's like the the purple inked depictions of his mercenarying behind him, and then Beast Boy on the right side with the different animals that he can turn into behind him. And Deathstroke is looking very serious, and Beast Boy is looking like he is trying to look very serious, but just looks like a petulant child. Mm-hmm. I really like how pouty Beast Boy is in that panel. But I think my favorite panel is... Beast Boy turning into a flying squirrel. I had uh, called that um, apocalyptic squirrel. Because <laughs> the sky really... is red and orange. Yeah. It is a really odd choice because it is Beast Boy turning into an array of animals as he is furious and is going to go try to kill Deathstroke while he's in prison. And the fact that he turned into a flying squirrel is part of that. Just seems really dumb to me, (laughs) but I really like it. He's a regular squirrel before that, too. Or maybe it's the flying squirrel and we just can't tell because he's not flying. I don't think a flying squirrel looks like a regular squirrel when it's not flying, does it? Well, I guess it would look... If it did look like one, it would just have, like, a bunch of, like, arm... Yeah. ...flab stuff that have the wings when it jumps. But, yeah, so we see a squirrel, like, running along the top of a fence, like, thinking really furious thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, he jumps into the air and... He starts off being, like, the furious baboon who assaults Steve Dayton at the top of that page, and then he, like, turns into an eagle and a vulture, and, like, I feel like at some point he must have lost the thread of the vengeance and was just like, Wee! Because I can't think of a flying squirrel saying anything other than, Wee! Yeah. They probably... It's hard to stay angry. I would imagine so. That'd be pretty great. Rocky the Flying Squirrel never seemed consistently angry. There you go. I would imagine that dealing with both Bullwinkle and Natasha and Boris would really be enough to to put you over the edge. Sure. But when you got that built-in release valve of being able to glide, pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. I liked that panel. Me too. Well, Corey, I have but one further question I must put to you. Okay. Wapoot! Hmm. In the year of our Lord 1985 and the month of our Lord July, what was Aqualad probably up to? What? Poot. So I can tell you one thing he wasn't up to. What's that? That was seeing the premiere of Back to the Future. Why wasn't he up to that? Well, he was 
deep in the zone, man. He had gotten... The bow zone? Oh, no, no. So, the bone zone? No, not that either. He's, we know he's not a trombone enthusiast. Oh, that's true. No, he's playing a bard's tale. Ooh. Which is, uh, is I guess... a text-based video game? It, it's partially text-based, so it's in the role-playing game category. And uh, it came out for the Amiga, which, which came out that month of that year. And uh, he was pretty stoked. We know he's got kind of a collection of various uh, hardware and... Software. He's, a, he's a real little bit of a nerd. And, um, uh, um, I'm sorry. Uh, Aqualad is a cool, cool guy. He's a cool guy with a lot of computers. Yes. And video games. Okay. And uh, yeah, so he's just basically hanging out in his room in the dome, being a cool guy, playing a bard's tale all month long. <laughs> oh, well, I hate to tell you, Corey, but it wasn't all month long. What? No, no, no. How was he going to figure out what happens? <laughs> Did he try exiting the door to the west? He tried everything, man. Well, at some point, he must have put lock and key and exited door to left. Hmm. Because he found the time to get super into Garfield comics. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't get enough of that orange cat. He's a little old for that, no? Yeah, well, he's young at heart. Hmm. And he just thought that that Monday-hating, lasagna-loving... Odie kicking, normal sending to Djibouti, cat was tops. And he started seeing connections to Garfield where maybe they might not exist. He got super into the Boomtown Rats song, Tell Me Why I Don't Like Mondays, because he assumed that it was a Garfield tie-in. Now, it was not, but his appreciation for that band was such that he decided to fly all the way to England to see them play at Wembley Stadium as part of Live Aid. Oh. Now, while he was there, really enjoyed their set, but then he was backstage and he bumped into Phil Collins. Hmm. Now, Phil Collins was performing at Wembley Stadium, but he was also performing in the Philadelphia Live Aid concert as part of the same show. So, Phil Collins took a helicopter to a Concorde jet and then took the Concorde jet to Philadelphia and performed at both venues for that concert. Wow. And so Aqualad bumped into him backstage and it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then Phil Collins said the magic words. Now, as you might imagine, somebody who likes Garfield was also a pretty big fan of Joe Piscopo. (laughs) And Aqualad found out that Joe Piscopo was going to be introducing some of the acts at Philadelphia, he was like, well, this I gotta see. I don't want to miss out on seeing Joe fucking Piscopo. Mm. So he accompanied Phil Collins on his trip from Wembley Stadium to JFK Stadium in Philadelphia, and he was glad he did, because what he saw made him forget all about Joe Piscopo. I know, it's difficult to imagine. But when he saw the act that Joe Piscopo introduced, it was Run DMC. They stepped on stage at Live Aid. All the people played, and the poor got paid. Nice. And Aqualad was so fucking stoked. And he was just like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And uh, he became a lifelong Run DMC fan on that day. That's awesome. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. I am so glad he got out of the dome (laughs) and shot his Amiga down (laughs) and got to see Run DMC play. Yeah, I think then afterwards he went back and probably played some more Bard's Tale. Well, I had to. Yeah. I gotta get out of that room sometime. Right. 
But I think from then on, he was picturing the bard playing King of Rock. Ah. Which was one of the songs that they performed at Live Aid to do their part for famine relief. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Good job, Run DMC. Good job, Aqualad. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Yep. Lisa runs that page. And if you would like to donate monetarily to us, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you'll get access to a bunch of bonus material. Uh, and depending on what your level of donation is, maybe I'll mail you a comic book from my collection. Maybe you can watch some videos that I can make. But if you donate at any level, then you will get access to a bunch of bonus podcasts that Quarry and I have recorded and the ongoing podcast is a monthly series called What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show where Lisa and I read Howard the Duck comics. So if you would like to support us there, I think that would be very nice of you and I would appreciate it very much. You can find us all over the internet if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Potty Waddy Doo Doo. Or whatever podcast application you're listening to the show on. <laughs> uh, are you not familiar with Potty Wadi Doo Doo? No. Oh, it's a really, really good app that makes podcast listening a breeze. <laughs> he, um, looks, he looks so sincere. <laughs> thank you. Uh-huh. I don't know why I wouldn't look that way. So yeah, just, you know, whatever you're using to listen to us right now, maybe just open that app up and then uh, just mash the five star button until you win a prize. I think that's how phones work. And yeah, if you can't find us anywhere else on the internet, try looking inside your heart because we got a second home there and it's got a mortgage. So, you know, also then go to Patreon, which I mentioned (laughs) earlier. It's a vicious cycle, but... uh, You know, we'll clean things up, uh, tidy up after ourselves in your heart, and then you won't have any heart problems like cholesterol if you donate to us. That's how it works. We are the oatmeal of the podcast world. So true in so many ways. Surprisingly delicious with raisins. And high of fiber. (laughs) Yep. Good for your colon. Goodbye! (laughs) And they knew it. this is a thing but i just had an idea yeah what if he takes some peanut butter or does he like peanut butter yeah and like smear it onto the side of a tree with really like uh textured bark uh-huh maybe he'll spend a long time trying to get the peanut butter off of the tree yeah maybe i don't feel like he'd eat a lot of bark and then maybe he'd bark more <laughs> That's like a homeopathy thing. Oh, you have to dilute to bark. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But then he would just, then he would ingest it and then he would bark. Yeah. Well, no, that would, in homeopathy, that would cure it. Oh, it would cure him from barking because like cures cures like. like. Yes. Right. All right. (laughs) I'll give it a shot. Peanut butter on the tree. Homeopathic dog cure. (laughs)